Good morning, Christhold Fast, on this Tuesday after Thanksgiving. Good to be with you here uh, again today. Uh, you might notice, uh, you might have noticed that last week I was not with you, uh, and there's a good reason for that. I had to um, battle valiantly a tremendous case of food poisoning, and so I was not up for joining you uh, for a devotion. I wasn't up for doing anything, as a matter of fact. But I'm better now, and uh, I figured instead of continuing our series in 2 Corinthians, uh, which we're getting close to the end of, during this season of Advent that we've just begun this last Sunday, that I would uh, spend some time looking at Advent texts. And so uh, today we're going to look at uh, the Gospel text for last Sunday in many churches, if you were following the lectionary, and that is Matthew 24 verses 36 through 44. I can see Michael is here. Chris, good morning to you. Uh, the rest of you I can't see yet, but uh, as you come along, I'll make sure and give you a nice, happy good morning, even though I sort of feel like what this cup says. All right, so let's go ahead and read the text uh, for today, Matthew 24. It says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left, Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. End of reading. Well, our text for today is all about being ready. Uh, namely, ready for the last day, for the great day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is a major focus of Advent. After all, Advent means coming. And so our focus during this season leading up to the celebration of Jesus' birth is not just his first coming, which is what we naturally focus on, but also his second coming. And so there's quite a few texts in the lectionary that deal with that topic. Now, in the case today, or in the text today, Jesus is asked by his disciples um, when the end of the world is going to happen. And after much description of some of the events preceding the last day, Jesus ends up not telling them when the world will end, but instead tells them essentially how to be ready for when that day comes. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. How is it that we can be ready, quote-unquote, that we can be alert, be on watch, as Jesus says? Well, I suppose the first way that many people try to be ready is they try to figure out the day. I mean, it certainly has been a normal thing throughout history, folks. After all, Jesus does say there will be signs of his coming, so uh, it makes sense that people would try and interpret those signs, hoping to pin down the date. 
Uh, I've been to prophecy conferences before when I was younger, and I have seen even seemingly sound Bible teachers get oh so close to predicting the time of the coming of our Lord. A little while back, I looked up a a list of all those who have stated on record the day they thought the world would end. And uh, let me just assure you, since nearly the beginning of the church, folks, there have always been those among us that have sought to indeed narrow down that day. I guess the most recent example that you're probably all aware of, or that comes to mind, at least for me, is the case of Harold Camping, the former uh, president of Family Radio and owner of that station. Uh, according to what he said was his, quote, study of Scripture, his intense study of Scripture and lots of numerology and all sorts of other sort of, you know, crazy ways of interpreting. Uh, he predicted first that Jesus would come back on May first, May 21st, 2011, uh, or at least that there would be a rapture then. And then on October 21st of that same year, the whole world would end. He was so convinced of this date, by the way, that you might remember he spent millions and millions of dollars on billboards all throughout the country warning us of the time to come. A number of his followers left their jobs, uh, emptied out their savings accounts, and sought to be ready enough by that day. And of course, when the days came and went, Camping had egg on his face, and at least to his credit, I mean, he did end up publicly repenting of his heir. But maybe, maybe it was just Camping's heir. I mean, maybe we should still try and give it a shot. The problem, of course, with that approach is what Jesus says so clearly in our text, folks. It's always so puzzling to me that this gets ignored or reinterpreted in a way that's not clear. Jesus clearly says here, Concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Now, folks, you can look it up in the Greek. You could go back to the Aramaic, whatever you want to do. It's very clear. The word no one literally means no persons. Nobody knows. Not even the angels of heaven, as if Jesus hasn't made it clear enough already. He wants to be abundantly clear. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son. But the Father only knows when the end comes. No one knows. Therefore, we are doing nothing but wasting our time if we spend it seeking to try and figure out the exact day and time and season that Jesus will come back. He has said from the beginning that he will come as a thief in the night. And just like the flood of Noah's day came suddenly, that's the picture given in our text, no one will have the exact information beforehand. So, here's the point of application for you, friends. If anyone comes saying they figured out the time, just do yourself a favor, walk away slowly, and do not seek to join that fellowship anymore. All right, so that's the first thing. We've, we've eliminated that as the way to be ready. The way to be ready is not by trying to figure out the day. Well, then maybe the option for us is that we are called to cease living normal lives. Again, like the practice of predicting the day Christians throughout history have been drawn towards exiting from normal life in anticipation of the end. And 
these folks might not be saying they know the exact time. I think a lot of the time they're not, but they are pretty certain that it will be in their generation. So they quit working or they seek a more communal setting until the day comes. And again, it makes sense, folks, if you're pretty sure Jesus is coming back any day to do that. There's a logic to it. I don't know if you, uh, you sitting here with me today watching this remember uh, the phenomenon that was Y2K. But I certainly do. I was sort of coming of age in my early 20s when this whole thing hit. And I remember seeing people within the church, people that were of rational mind and people that were good folks, speculating that, of course, because the computers might not adjust uh, properly to the year change, that this might be it. And this malfunction would possibly uh, set off a chain of events that would truly be catastrophic. Food would be in short supply. The stock market would crash. Your life savings would be gone in an instant. This was all part of the predictions that were coming and were being taught in churches all over the country again. And as a result of this fear, I knew people that stocked up on guns and canned goods. Uh, I knew people that built wind turbines in suburban places, by the way, and even bought small silos for storing grain in their backyard. Well, of course, that prediction of the end didn't work out. But, hey, we do know from what Jesus has said that his return could come at any time. And indeed, there are communities all over the world that are sort of set aside in communal living to wait for that day. Uh, should we join them? Hmm. Well, no. And here's why. Jesus says the way it will be when he returns is people will be, quote, eating, drinking, and marrying, etc. In other words, living normal lives. Jesus tells us that at his return, the believer and the unbeliever both will be working in the field and they'll be grinding at the mill. In other words, they'll be working just like normal. One will be taken and the other left. By the way, by the way, folks, if you ever heard anybody use this text to uh, defend a rapture point of view, the one who is taken is actually in this context, the wicked unbeliever, not the believer. So I know that we've got this picture that was given to us by Left Behind in various uh, points of view that, you know, we'll sort of be raptured out of our clothes up into heaven, but this passage certainly does not teach that. The one who is left is the one who is righteous in this context because, the reason I say that, Noah was left and the others were swept away, and that's the comparison that the author is giving here, that Jesus is giving here. That's a side note. Just thought it might be of interest to some of you who have uh, some background in that. So here's another reason that we can't escape normal life. Uh, Paul actually rebukes people for doing that very thing. In writing to the Thessalonian church, uh, there were people there convinced that Jesus was coming back any day, and so they did stop working. And Paul specifically says to them, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own 
living. So, the point is, we don't escape normal life expectations by waiting in some commune somewhere for the end to come. But we engage in the normal day-to-day stuff of life. We are, as Jesus says, in the world, but not of the world. So, the good news for you is that you don't have to start making your own clothes, hunting your own food, and storing up grain in your backyard unless you want to. That's fine. But you don't have to do it in order to be ready for the end to come. You can go on eating, drinking, and being given in marriage. Okay, since it's not the case, since we've eliminated uh, the idea that we need to figure out the date to be ready, and we've eliminated the idea that we need to escape from normal life to be ready, well then maybe the option is to simply ignore the whole business. After all, a great number of churches seem to do just that. In any number of churches, this seems to be almost the de facto position because talk of Jesus' return never seems to come up. Focus so much on the felt needs of the hearers at any given moment, talk of the second coming can either either seem too abstract or, for that matter, um, just too far out there for us to spend too much time dwelling on it. But, of course, the problem with taking that tack is Jesus says in our text to do just the opposite. He says, keep watch. He likens us to an owner of a house who is constantly on the lookout for burglars. Now, in Greek, you might be able to say it like this, keep on keeping watch. It's this active verb, constantly keep your eyes open. Hearing that command, I can't help but think of my old buddy, uh, Ryan. He's been in the Navy for years, and uh, part of his duty from time to time is he would have to stay overnight and guard the ship. And so with weapon in hand, he would walk around the ship and monitor everything that was going on constantly. Whether they were in a foreign country or safe at home, it really didn't matter. No matter what, he would have to stay awake, ready for anything that might come. And the reality was is that there could be quite a severe punishment if he didn't stay awake. That was the rules. Jesus says, like that person on watch, we too should be ready for his coming, aware at any day that it could indeed happen. Not by trying to figure out the day, nor by excusing ourselves from life, but just being aware that each and every day is not something that is guaranteed to us. So then, Here's the final question I have for you as we wrap up this brief time in Matthew 24. Are you, dear viewer, ready enough for his coming? I mean, if we can't find out the date, and if our lives go on looking fairly normal, how can we be absolutely certain that we're really, really, really ready? I can't tell you how many preachers I heard growing up that would ask that question, Then they remain dramatically silent for a long while. And then they would often start asking us to do a moral inventory of our sins. Are you really ready or are you lusting? Are you really ready or have you been lazy? Are you really ready or are you walking in the flesh? And of course, it was only a matter of time before every single person in the room, based on the criteria the preacher gave, would have to say, if I'm honest, no, I must not be ready. I must have forgotten. I must have 
backslidden and become distracted. I can, I mean, man, I can barely get my family ready for church, let alone get myself ready for the end of the world. And listen, folks, that confession would be accurate. It would be true to some extent about every single one of us. None of us in and of ourselves are indeed ready enough. So does that mean then we're all doomed? Well, no. Contrary to what that old preacher would tell you and try and scare you with, I'm here to tell you the good news is that your readiness for that last day isn't ultimately up to you. The Bible declares that our salvation on that last day won't be based on how little or how much we've struggled with sin. We are not saved by the grace of God at the beginning, but then keep ourselves in his good graces by our good enough readiness. No, the good news is for his children, he not only saved you, past tense, but is continuing to save you until the last day. Now you say, okay, Eric, prove it. Well, if you insist. What does Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 say? And I am sure... The word is certain, persuaded, convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, that final day. Or check out this, to the same church that Paul rebuked for not being ready enough, he writes these words in 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and listen to this last sentence it's glorious he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it what will he do he will keep you blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ there's also this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where Jesus is called not merely the author of our faith, but the finisher of our faith. Or lastly, maybe this out of Ephesians 6, if you're still not compelled that this is true. Paul says there, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Where does the readiness come from, folks? The gospel of peace. Therefore, we do not keep watch for Jesus' coming with fear for not being ready enough, because we know that he has declared us ready enough. Jesus was ready in your place through his perfect life. He was ready in your place through his sacrificial death. Jesus was ready in your place at his resurrection. He was ready in your place at his ascension. And he will be ready in your place to take you home to be with him again. So we keep our eyes open for his return with great anticipation, we look for his coming again because we know then that all fear will be alleviated, all sin will be gone, and our faith will finally be perfected. We indeed look up because our redemption draws near, as the scriptures declare. 
So that's a little bit about how to be ready for the end of the world as we know it, folks. And that, in my mind, is reason to be encouraged as we continue on through this Advent season. I pray that you would have a wonderful week and that you would be blessed as you prepare more to receive the coming of our King. See you next Tuesday. God bless.